Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Mercedes. And Mercedes was in a toxic marriage with a controlling, manipulative narcissist. It's a story of competency, self-worth, financial abuse, and stalking. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Mercedes. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, and for people that want to be a guest on our show like Mercedes is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form, click on that button. All of these instructions are there. Please read them. Send in your notes to NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or just fill out the submit page button. Press the submit button. I have no idea what I just said right there. I I screwed it up somehow, but I'm going to leave it in. And Mercedes sent me some fantastic notes, and I'm thanking her for that. But unfortunately... Mercedes was in an abusive relationship and this story of yours, your life escalates and there's, I mean, it escalates and escalates and escalates. Uh, so a trigger warning for, uh, physical abuse, uh, trigger, is there other trigger warnings that we have in here that we should know about? No, I think it's just physical abuse primarily. So we have trigger warning for physical abuse. Eventually this gets into, we get stalking in here, uh, harassment, post-separation abuse. Um, So uh, I just want to thank Mercedes for being here with us today. And now, without further ado, Mercedes, the floor is now yours. Thank you so much, Brandon, and thank you so much for this podcast and everything that you do for survivors like me. And uh, so I guess I'll start at the beginning, like most of us do, uh, before, um, you know, I met the person the story is about. I grew up in a really typical house. I was raised by, you know, two working parents, loving parents. And I really had, you know, very little in my, in my home life to complain about, you know, and uh, so I'm one of the lucky, one of the lucky ones for sure. And when I guess the, the, 
biggest challenge I had growing up was I was bullied quite a bit. And so I'd say, I guess it was grades, you know, it kind of started in grade five, but, you know, six, seven, eight, a little bit of nine. And I really, I mean, I was what you would consider, you know, what somebody would call a nerd. And so that was the primary thing. And so after, you know, I was always trying to fit in, but I was, it was, school was really, really hard for me. And so I started to try to blend in. And I also started to wrap all of my identity up in my intelligence and, you know, how smart I was. And that really was, was who I was. That was where all my self-worth was wrapped up. So um, that's sort of a little bit of setting the stage as to what is going to come later in terms of what's used against me. And so I, uh, you know, I, I went through school and I went to, you know, I had my first boyfriend when I was my first semi-serious, I guess, when I was about 17. Uh, again, really nice guy, just normal relationship. We just grew apart, you know, we're just young and that was it. Um, I had a university boyfriend, again, another nice guy that uh, passed through my life. Um, we were together for a really long time, about six years, and we lived together. And uh, he was a really smart guy. He, you know, also was in, as I said, he was a university boyfriend. So we were in the same classes. And we ended up living together in a couple of different cities. Um, and we moved, I guess, uh, quite a ways away from, we originally were living near both of our families, but then we moved uh, quite a ways away. And so we lived there. Um, and we we didn't have a lot of support where we were living. I was going to school still, and he was working. And it was, I guess, that relationship. I, I had had no experience with divorce growing up. Nobody in my family had been divorced. I really believed that people stayed together. I mean, I knew my parents loved each other. I mean, they had their, their ups and downs, but none of my family got divorced. I had no aunts and uncles that were divorced that I knew of. I don't have any. I know there might be some stuff in the background, but I had no, I, I just figured people stayed together. I, I didn't really know anything else. So my university boyfriend's parents divorced and that narrative was definitely, she was like screwing him over in some way. She was at fault. She had, you know, done something terrible looking back and knowing what I know now, it wasn't that at all, but that was the story. Um, so that was my only experience. Um, you know, this, terrible woman that would leave this poor man all by himself, which is not what happened. So um, that relationship ended. Again, we kind of just grew apart. Nice guy, no issues, really. We just wanted different things. Um, he wanted a different life than I did. So I moved into my own apartment for the first time. And this was when I really went, uh, I was in a really bad space. I was struggling to make ends meet. I had carried a lot of debt over from that relationship. Um, and I just was living in a really dark basement apartment and it was a little bit scary. I was just afraid. It was just not a, a great place to be living, but, um, I was there and I was, I was working, but not making ends meet. And, uh, and I'm, I like being in relationships. So I was dating, but I, I want a relationship. I've always wanted one. I like being in them. I like being connected to people. And so that was what I wanted. Uh, and I dated, uh, you know, nothing really serious. And then um, I guess 
I don't know how long it was, maybe a year after I was living on my own, my best friend said that she wanted to travel to uh, just go over to Europe and do some traveling. So I decided, even though I couldn't afford it, uh, I decided to go with her and I just wanted to go. So I, I don't know, found the money somewhere and I packed up and I went with her. Um, at the time I had been seeing somebody and I was still seeing him when I left. And uh, it had been a few months. So at this point, I guess my first question would be, what got you into debt in the first place? I would say primarily school. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And I would say I was working in retail uh, a lot of those years. And I think I was probably living outside my means a little bit. You know, you're buying clothes to wear at the stores and, you know. It sounds like a good employee discount, but it isn't necessarily. So I think, but it was primarily school. Uh, I had gotten in school debt. So here you are with uh, debt, and it is debt that is responsible debt. We'll call it responsible debt. Maybe maybe some people today might not think it's responsible. (laughs) And you are competent in your skills and yourself to get yourself out of this. Um, are you feeling like you should be doing more with your life at this point? Because even though you are young, you're putting, you, you, you know, your belief of yourself is I'm smart. I, I can do these things. Totally. I figured I was going to get myself out of this. And even my parents now would say, like, why didn't you reach out to us? And it, it was, I was going to solve this myself. There was no way I was going to ask for help. I unfortunately do not ask for help, even when I should and when I could use it. And I, yeah, I was doing it. I was going to figure it out. <laughs> so he, here, I, I don't know if this will come back into the story, but a little bit of stubbornness when it comes oh. to uh, help and maybe possibly reaching out later because you're mm-hmm. someone who can figure these things out uh, yeah, I was, by yourself. I was going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. And when it comes to self-esteem as a person outside of your skills, socially... Do you have a different type of self-esteem? I have. I'm, I was good. I still am good in social circles, but I think I was looking for a lot of external approval. I enjoyed when people liked me. I wanted them to like me. And so I found it very, I worked hard to get people to like me. And if they didn't, it was very taxing on me. And I didn't, didn't like it. Uh, and so because I didn't have a large circle of friends, I wasn't super connected in this city I've been living in for a relatively short amount of time. I was really lonely, really, really lonely. And that was taking a toll for sure. So I thought I'm going to go travel and I'm going to meet people and I'm going to fill that that void of being in this town that I wasn't super connected in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
And did you have any belief systems that you haven't uh, mentioned yet, religious-wise, uh, like uh, as far as uh, relationships take work, things along those lines? Once you're married, you don't get divorced. Um, anything along those lines? Yeah, I I was raised, um, you know, Christian, and I was, you know, we were, uh, I was raised in the United Church, but I wasn't particularly um, there, there wasn't a strong religious component, you know, we went and my, my mom and she taught Sunday school and that kind of thing. But we, we weren't super heavy in there. I had no uh, relationship or divorce uh, guilt associated with religion. Uh, however, I did believe that people stayed together and that it was always work. I knew that things didn't come easy. And I know, but I didn't know anybody who got divorced. Divorce was for other people. Are you a perfectionist? <laughs> Uh, yeah, just a little bit. So I, I do. I like, I look at things, things can always be better and improved. And, you know, and, and I mean that in a good way. I don't try to necessarily, like, I'm just as, I'm that way with myself as much as with anything else is I can always do better. So how do I do better and grow and improve? So you go on this trip with your friend and then you eventually, I guess, meet the person that the story is about. So take us from here. Yeah, so we go traveling, and it's it's amazing. And a few weeks in, or maybe maybe only two weeks in, we end up uh, we're staying at various hostels and doing lots of stuff. And we end up wanting to go on this excursion, and so we book this uh, this shuttle van to take us to from the hostel to this place, and uh, we actually miss it. So we it was first thing in the morning, and I think we just we just missed it. it didn't quite make it on time and so we had to sit there and wait for the next shuttle and on this next shuttle was the person this uh, story is about um and he was there with uh, some friends that and they were all traveling together and so we got in this van and we just started talking i mean when you're traveling the first question everybody asks is where are you from and you know where are you going and uh, and it turned out that we were from you know very similar places in the same country and and so we, it just was sort of this connection and they were all really nice guys. Um, and uh, we just sort of hung out. We went on this excursion and we just sort of connected. And I mean, it's typical when you're traveling. Um, well, I shouldn't say just traveling, but it's possible that, that these, you know, that he and any of his friends were, were hitting on us. I don't really remember, but there was nothing else that was, it's just, you're just hanging out. So uh, nothing happened. We certainly, uh, there was no sort of romantic connection there. Um, so we finished that and we uh, just sort of spent another couple of days in the hostel and everybody goes their separate directions and everybody exchanges, you know, Facebook accounts. Um, that was, Facebook was relatively new for me back then. And uh, I think I'm aging myself, but anyways. Um, and so that was it. Uh, and then I guess it was a couple of days later, uh, you know, I'm going in and out of, I don't even know, it was in these internet cafes and stuff. I started getting these Facebook messages and I got quite a bit. So you reached out and the right away, it's like walls of text, walls of compliments, um, just how amazing I am and how was this, there was always this romanticized uh, sort of attitude about us meeting and how we met and how it was 
you know, how it was amazing that I missed the first van and all this other stuff. And I totally, I got sucked in. Like he was just heavy, heavy compliments. Um, Another thing I noticed was that he also fished a lot about asking about other guys. So he spent a lot of time, oh, you must have a lot of other guys messaging. Oh, you you know, that kind of stuff. And I would constantly be like, no, no. Oh, are, are my friends messaging you too? You know, and I would say, no, no, that, you know, that's not what's happening. And so really soon he was sort of had this possessiveness, but, you know, we barely knew each other. Um, so I continue to travel. Eventually, uh, I go back home and the just the messages start. And so now he's talking about, you know, coming out and I, I mean, walls of text, like our messages. And I responded with walls of text, too. It's just sort of how it happened. But lots of just he asked a lot of questions. He found out a lot about me very quickly. And, uh, you know, he decided to come up for a visit where I was um, living and he did. And it was, I don't know, it seemed fine. We can seem fine. I didn't really have anything. I just thought this guy's so great. And he's just so interested in me. And he, you know, that's, it's so typical now when you look back, it's, it really was a lot of fact finding. Um, and so he decided to go back, of course, after the weekend. And then I was invited out for a visit and I went and visited. And again, you know, a lot of big, grand gestures and I don't know, um, a lot really, really quickly. And so he eventually, I say eventually, about six weeks in, asked me to move in with him. And uh, I did. And uh, it was probably, I ended up, so, and once I got back, I had broken it off with the person I was seeing. And then uh, I guess I ended up in a relationship with, with the person the story's about. So when you broke it off with the person that you were seeing, uh, how did you explain it to them? I don't even remember, you know, and we weren't super, like, we'd only been dating a few months. And I actually think we didn't have the same path in mind either. So it was sort of one of these things where, like, he was a really great guy, but I, it wasn't that hard. And I don't think it was that hard on either end, uh, on either side. Like, he wasn't devastated. It, it was just kind of like, yeah. Um, although that said, that relationship probably would have continued uh, had I not met this person. So I say that, who knows? But it was a lot more, it was just, a, I guess what I would say a normal relationship would be like, it was just sort of slowly growing. And then you have this other person come in with this and with this fast forward version. And for somebody who's looking for a relationship, wants to be married and wants to do, you know, have this life, it was like this shiny object. and. Off I went. And did anyone in your family or friends say, hey, I don't know if this is a good idea? You know, I don't remember that happening. Although I wouldn't have told a lot of people. And honestly, even if I think I did tell my parents, but my parents learned a long time ago that I am going to do whatever I want to do. And so they just generally try to support me and, you know, be there for me when I ask for it. But I, they know as well as anybody, if they try to tell me not to do something, I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm a little headstrong. Um, and so I'm trying to remember if anybody told me not to, but I don't think so, but I wouldn't have, I didn't have that many connections. I was very lonely. I didn't have a lot of people around me. And I think he saw that. I think he saw, I really was alone. So what happened from here? Sorry for interrupting. 
No, that's okay. Uh, so I, I end up uh, moving in and it, right away I'm realizing that this living situation is, is not great. So he, he, part of his love bombing was um, money. So throwing money uh, at everything. So I was sort of originally saying, oh, I'm not so sure about, you know, moving, moving out thing. And I've got all my stuff and I really don't have the money to, to move. And, you know, I think I should stay put. And he did. He convinced me. Like, I had put up argument after argument of why I shouldn't go. And he just would shoot down every argument systematically. Here's all the reasons. So he paid for a moving truck. And he paid for a storage locker. And he did all the stuff to make to facilitate it. Because it was just, he just thought it was so important. So I get out there. All my stuff is, uh, is locked in a storage locker that he has the key for. I am now in this place. He shows up with flowers and it's this big thing. And it doesn't take long before things start to be uncomfortable. And one of the things I remember specifically about this apartment um, was that the the bathroom was a glass wall. So the, the wall between the bathroom and the, the master bedroom was all glass. So he would be in the bedroom. You could see everything in the bathroom. And I remember thinking like, this is just weird. And I, I need like a curtain there needs to be some level of privacy uh and it was no never like there was no way it's like he needed access to me at all times and i remember being very stressed out by this um and so very quickly i was integrated into every part of his life um i was on every sports team i was going everywhere with him everything was done together like we and i mean i didn't have a car so i relied on him for i didn't have a job yet so I relied on him for money and getting around and friends. It was all a social circle. And so I was just swept into this life that I, I said more than once, like, I feel like I've just been transplanted into this life that I know nothing about. And I, I started to kind of get a little uncomfortable and it was pretty quick. Um, eventually I got a job, which he took credit for because he got me in touch with a headhunter. So I guess. I, <laughs> he apparently got me my job, which he took credit for forever. So at this point, you have moved. You are feeling uneasy, but at the same time, based upon what you want in life, this person has showed up. He wants you there. You feel wanted. You are being taken care of. Mm-hmm. And so whenever these little tiny things come up, money, uh, job, all of these things, he's there. He's a hero. Mm-hmm. He's brought in this, you know, savior aspect to things, which could be brought up later as far as like, look what I did for you. I've done all of these things for you. So these things are there to eventually give you a cognitive dissonance when things happen later. You're like, well, he is nice, but then this happened. So you've been set up here uh, to be seen in the way you wanted to be seen, to have the future that you wanted, the you know, uh, to get all the feelings that are important to you. And now you're at a point where, okay, the setup has happened. You're hooked in. You are feeling a bit uneasy. No reason to think anything worse besides the shower thing at the moment. And then and then the real devaluation starts to begin. Exactly. And he would, he would spend a lot of time um, sort of denigrating himself and saying, oh, I can't believe how wonderful of, you know, you are and how this amazing woman wants to be with this kind of 
you know, dorky, lowly guy. And he would really play up this, um, how I was sort of almost superior in some ways. Uh, and so he was, he would pour in in other ways. And he, and he loved to talk. Oh my goodness. We talked so much and he would ask so many questions and, and, you know, and he just under this guise of wanting to know so much about this amazing woman. And, you know, it all came back uh, and it was all used as a weapon later. And would he, when he said like this, I'm this dorky, whatever type of guy, how did you respond to that? Well, I was constantly, no, 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 not at all. Like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> so he does it, he fishes for it. Totally, yeah. totally. And constantly fishing about, as I said, right before I moved out and even at the beginning, but about, you know, talking to other guys and this constant fear, this constant digging in that sense. And uh, anyways, and so he did, he, he just swept me up and he said, oh, this, this is what I wanted. This is what I was looking for. And so, and, and he complimented me so much on my intelligence, like constantly, oh, the girls I'm used to dating are so dumb and you're so smart and I've never met anybody like you and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, so we, we move forward and now, you know, the, the devaluation starts. And so he never wanted me to be unavailable. I always had to be around. I always had to be with him. Uh, and so back to this issue with the wedding album, he had displayed and I sort of asked about it. I sort of thought, well, that's interesting. You know, are you, are, are you able to be in another relationship? And, and it, of course, was a huge fight. He had boxes. I found a box of stuff from ex-girlfriends, pictures, letters. And I sort of thought, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. You know, do, but I wouldn't have expected to find that especially if he was as invested in this as he said it you know he was um and it, he had a lot of a lot of rage so if you would anybody questioned him on anything he would fly into a rage and so uh the first few times i really saw it was towards other people so some guy cut him off at an intersection once and we were going on a date we were just you know driving somewhere and he pulled up with the guy beside the guy at the next light jumped out and tried to pull him out of the car to fight him and the guy would like lock the door <laughs> he wouldn't get out and uh and i remember thinking like that is just way over the top uh, and but then as soon as he gets back in the car he's so contrite so oh you know i'm so sorry and I, you know i can't believe i did that and i just get so upset and, you know that kind of stuff and so um he was always he was also very focused on on sex and he was very uh, if he didn't get what he wanted he would punish me by watching porn really really loudly uh, upsetting stuff too i mean i have nothing against it it's just really really degrading stuff and he would go in the other room and turn it on really loud we were in an apartment so i remember just being mortified at the idea of anybody hearing this and uh and so he would and he would he would punish me fairly regularly that way um, and I would ask him to stop. I remember at one point I, you know, he, I would just say like, just go sleep in the other room. Like I need to some space. And there was no way, there was no way that was going to happen. Um, if ever I wanted space, he came in my space more. Um, and so he asked me a ton of questions about, as I said, he was asking questions kind of innocently at first, but then the questions became more and more. Uh, and I continued to answer honestly, because that's just who I am. I, I, I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I'm not shy. I will just, sure, this is a relationship that I'm in, but it would always turn into a massive fight. And he was so jealous. It's like he expected me not to have a, a whole life up until the point when I met him. It's like this whole life that I lived was just made me this terrible person. And it's like, 
I didn't even know you until like a month or two ago. Um, but he, he absolutely, you know, uh, loved to call me names. And, uh, and so, you know, I think I got, I got called for oh, probably every couple of days. And so uh, I remember once another, another time I saw the rage, you know, not directed towards me per se, the physical rage was when, and one of his sisters, uh, allegedly her husband uh, put her ha- his hands on her in some way. I don't know the story. But he flew into a rage at the idea that this guy would touch his sister, which is just unbelievably ironic. But anyways, he um, he grabbed a bat and he's like, get in the car. And so we got in the car and we drove down to this guy's place of work. And I sat in the car like, you're just sort of stunned. I mean, I don't know what to do. Uh, I have no idea. And uh, he walks into this guy's office looking for him with his bat. And I don't know, the guy wasn't at work, I guess. So I don't think anything happened. But I, I mean, I have no idea what he was going to do. Um, and it just sort of gets brushed off as this protective stuff. Um, but this is this is insanity. I mean, it's it's completely nuts. And I think I'm frozen in, I'm just terrified and frozen. And I don't know what to do anymore. And these are moments where I'm going, I need to get rid of this. Like, this doesn't feel right. But I really, I'm really stuck. Like he has all, I, I would have to be ready to get up and leave everything, all my stuff. So everything that I'd accumulated, I mean, don't forget, I'm still not financially in a great spot. So I really could use my stuff. Um, and it was all locked in his storage locker, which I, I'm, I know now he was going there fairly often and, you know, going through it and such. Uh, but he had the key and uh, I had no money. And so short of calling home and saying, you know, can I, have a bunch of money and leave, which I wasn't going to do. It was just, I could fix it. I could make it better. I just had to find the formula, um, which is the story of so many. Um, and the other, so and another really big overarching theme with him was that he loved to appear like he had money, but he's actually really, really cheap. So he started with this money thing at the beginning. Oh, I'm going to pay for this and pay for that. And everything was very, very, you know, fancy and everything. But then he would then pull back from that later. And then every time I would say, Oh, I want to buy this. You know, I was, a, I was, a, I was vain and shallow and a gold digger. And, and I, you know, it's totally a shift from where he was. And um, I mean, he would buy me, you know, um, costume jewelry, uh, which is, there's no issue with costume jewelry, but he would put it in a, like in a people's box or something and try to pass it off as this. And he would, say it was this amazingly expensive you know item and it you know it really wasn't and so he liked to look like he was had a bunch of money and he was this baller but he was actually really really uh frugal um and he would criticize my clothes all the time he wanted me to look better i always had to look a certain way and uh he wanted me to buy better clothes uh but not spend money on them so i had to find expensive i guess you know, designer clothes, but from thrift shops, I guess, and whatever. I mean, that was just what he wanted. He wanted you to look a certain way, but do it on the cheap. Uh, Always wanted me to wear heels. I mean, oh my goodness. I remember once, everything was a transaction. So I remember once I had to ask to buy most things. And I asked to buy a pair of wedge heels. And I remember this so vividly. And he was really, I want you to wear those because he wanted me to wear these 
spiky heels all the time. And uh, when I said, well, I really want to wear these, you know, for work and other things, he said, fine, you're allowed to buy them, but you have to wear them every day. So that's that's the price for buying these uh, frumpier heels. It, the amount of control was just slowly, but again, I was not ready to to ask for help or to lose everything in one, you know, in one fell swoop. Um, so I was very much a trophy uh, for him, I think, but not one worth spending any money on. So, you know, it was appear a certain way, but, you know, do it the way that I want you to. Uh, I found out he hacked my computer once uh, and went through all of my emails, everything. And that was just then used to, it was all twisted into some narrative he had and it was used, it, it would spark fight after fight. That probably was the, one of the red flags I wish I, I really grabbed onto like he back in the day not as much anymore but you used to be able to go into the the i don't know what did you call it the the dos screen or whatever in the computers and you could hack and find out what people's passwords were it, it's that's what he did and that is just such an invasion of privacy it's so it's, as far as i'm concerned it's way up there uh and i that was i should have i should have run um, and so I, uh, and I think, so in addition to being obviously uh, cheap, he also, uh, was too good. So he was the golden child and never had the little finger. And so he's very, very entitled. And so he never did housework and he didn't, he's like, I'm not doing that. It's beneath me. Uh, I, he refuses to, for instance, like clean a toilet way too beneath him. He'll never touch a toilet according to him. And so that was part of the problem. And so I had to do all of the housework, all the cooking, all the housework, everything. Uh, I was supposed to look after my man. Uh, and so he, he, he models, he always would tell me he models George Cleaver as like the model, like who you need to be uh, and having this stay at home wife. And he was the guy in charge. And apparently that was the character. I don't actually know that well. Um, and so so anyway, so I had to do all the housework. And the way that he would justify it was he would just add up our incomes. So because his income was more than mine, he would say, well, a full-time house cleaner would be 30000 a year and a full-time cook would be 30000 a year. And so we're going to add that up to your salary. And when you do everything, you kind of come close to where I am. Uh, we periodically had house cleaners when I would, you know, really push back. Um, but again, anything that a house cleaner did went into, you know, on his side of the ledger in terms of work. And I still had to do everything else. Um, the other really, really big red flag I wish I paid attention to was how much he bashed his first wife. He was awful at the things he said about her. And I, I have no reason to believe now that any of them are true. And um, in fact, I think they're actually very much not. Um, but he really made her out to be insane. So I guess my question right here would be, how old are you and how old is he here? <laughs> So I guess uh, this would have been, I would have been 27, okay. 28, and he's about four years older than me. Okay. So he got married to a high school sweetheart, uh, and then uh, they divorced. And I think he'd been divorced for a couple of years um, before he met me. Um, and so, yeah, so he, he bashed her a lot. And that she was crazy and all the crazy things she'd done. 
Um, and he told me a story about how before they got married, he insisted that she have a fertility test to make sure that, you know, she could bear the children that he wanted. I don't know if that ever happened, but I remember thinking that was disgusting. Uh, but anyways, it, again, you just sort of, I, I actually don't know what I'm thinking at this point. I really think I'm just feeling in it, really, really in it. And like, I'm not, I'm just going to plow ahead. Um, my stubbornness is coming in. Um, and he, he would also, uh, he loved to pick up my appearance. And so he would pick little things here and there, but he would always link it to something on himself. So he would say, um, you know, he'd say, oh, I did, look at how amazing, you know, my, my teeth are. You always talk about his teeth and they're so great. And, and I didn't have any, any work done. Aren't they amazing? Look at them, you know, <laughs> I would, and I, and, and knowing full well that, you know, I did have to have done work done. Not that that's any difference at all but he was sort of these little teeny little cuts these little jabs and um that started to build up more and more it was never really really big stuff just little like things you know oh your your head is pointy your you know don't you wish you had nice feet like me it was just completely weird and because it was so small and little i kind of brushed it off like i really don't care this doesn't do anything. Uh, he was always very childlike. Like he needed this. He always wanted me to treat him like a child. So he wanted to be this, you know, taking care of person, but he was in charge and he was nasty uh, when he wanted to be in charge. And when I challenged that, which I did uh, often enough. Um, so there was, like I said, there was total control. I was involved in every sports team he was on, which, by the way, he had multiple ex-girlfriends <laughs> on every sports team. So I, the jealousy started to creep in with me as I started to get really insecure. Um, I felt like everything we went to, there was, like, multiple. I think he's dated a lot. Uh, I think he always needed people in his life. And so uh, there was always ex-girlfriends everywhere we went. And he would he would sort of... I don't poke at that, that a little bit with me and I would get more and more jealous. Um, and I guess at one point, um, actually back to the idea of when he was evaluating me was he, when he would compare me to these ex-girlfriends, he would always talk about how dumb they were and how smart I was. And that was the way to kind of make that. But then what would happen a day later is I would push back on something and he would then call me, um, a stupid gym teacher. So for, you know, according to him, which is, I, you know, I think it's a terrible thing to say, but because of my degree in, in, uh, you know, sort of in the health sciences. And so he would, or he'd say, nobody listens to a secretary or those kinds of things. Um, and so I, after about, oh, let me see, I guess it was about a year we were together, he decided to propose. So before we get to the proposal, mm-hmm. we, you just went through, a myriad of devaluations, different types. A lot of stuff is going on here. Total control is happening. From who you were and your ideals and to who you are right now at this point of the relationship, these are things you've never experienced before so in some ways this has to be a real big shock to your system and it's not something you're used to but 
the psychology of you has been used to keep you around, twist you around, have mixed messages and cognitive dissonance going on. So how are you actually feeling? Are you trying to go through this logically? Are you having days where you're breaking down and crying? Like, uh, how are you trying to get through this? And are you thinking at any point, like, I got, I have to break up? Like, are you, are you close to breaking up? Like, are you close to being like, I just have to run? Or, like, you're just an, uh, an island right now? <laughs> well, I think at this point, I'm... Because it wasn't always bad. And so when he would try to, you know, fix things, quote unquote, he would sort of pull me back in because I sort of had this, okay, so we're not connecting you know, on some things, but we're working on this together. And I always believed that relationships would work. I never lived in a fantasy that relationships were easy. He does for sure, but I do not. And so I just sort of was like, okay, well, this is somebody who has gone through stuff like me. I've had, you know, things happen to me too. And so I just wanted to make it work. And there's a little part of me that doesn't want to be proven wrong because I'm sure I've had friends or family that were like, ah, this might not have been a good idea. So admitting defeat is just not something that I want to do. I didn't want to look like I didn't know what I was doing. And I wanted to look like I made the right decision and I'm going to keep at it until it's the right decision. Yeah, I think I think that's where I'm at right now. And I am having times where I'm crying, but then he's coming back and looking after me and, you know, kind of making it all okay again and explaining away a lot of the stuff. And, I mean, everybody's damaged in some way. Everybody's got their stuff. So I'm going, I get it. I get it. Like, we can, we can figure this out together. And that's what I thought we were going to do. And when things would get bad, something big would come in. And we were always very... We, we moved a lot. So we were always kind of um, unstable, like something would change. So there'd be, and then you're sort of now focused on this change. So we would move into, you'd buy these, these renovation houses and tear them down and rebuild them and sell them, that kind of thing. But we would move into them first. And so we were constantly moving and it was sort of this, it was like distracting me or I was busy dealing with that to really kind of realize what was going on uh, with him. Um and so, and so the proposal is a great example. And so with a big giant gesture to sort of steer me away. And so the morning that uh, he proposed was, uh, I guess it was around our one year anniversary, if not, it was our one year of dating. And he just told me to get in the car, uh, wear something comfortable and off we go. And where we ended up was uh, at a skydiving school. And I remember pulling in there and I thought I was going to be sick. Uh, I mean, I had in passing been like, sure, before, oh, sure, let's, that'd be fun to try sometime or all these sort of extreme sports, but I had no intention of, of probably ever doing it. So we're in this place and I'm, I remember sitting in the car, he had got out to go and, and talk to the people. And I was, I was horrified. I didn't know what to do. I did not want to do it. But I knew, I knew there was no way I was getting out of this. There's no way, you know? And so he would have been so mad at me if I did. So I would have wrecked the whole thing and this whole plan. So we went and we did it. We went skydiving. Uh, it was, 
<laughs> I mean, it was, it was exhilarating. Uh, I will never do it again. Uh, I've done it. That's it. Um, so as I'm, he jumps first, I jump second. And actually there's a video of it. Uh, there was somebody filming the whole time and I am white as a ghost. Like I am so uncomfortable. And so we, he jumps first, he lands, uh, and then I'm second. And as I'm landing, there's this huge white sheet on the ground and he had painted, will you marry me on it? And I'm shocked and I see his, some family members there and, you know, I land and he, of course, walks over with ring and it's this big video. And I call my parents after and they are surprisingly underwhelmed. I wasn't expecting them to be so, oh yeah, you know, that's great. You know, and they were happy, but they didn't, they really hadn't been a part of it. And later they sort of tell me that he had just kind of called them quickly, said, hey, do you mind? And they just were so separate from our lives. And my parents, I'm very close with my parents and, and now especially. So this was very weird, uh, a very weird dynamic. And I thought, are you not happy? But they just, the sense was there that they weren't, you know, totally thrilled. But again, this could be just they don't know him that well. And that's what they said. We don't even know this guy. Uh, but again, so this huge thing, and it was fancy, fancy. We went to, like, the most expensive restaurant uh, in the city and limo and the whole thing. Like, way out there. So I'm swept up in this. And so now we're we're engaged. And again, we're going through these housing projects. And so before we got married, we were engaged, but not married. That was when he decided, I think it was around that time, he decided I need to uh, get rid of the debt that I had. Now, I didn't have, I'm talking about debt, it is a reasonable amount. Like within within five years or less, I would have been able to to deal with it. Um, so and that's what I was going to do. I was like, I'm going to deal with it. So I got some debt, I'll sort it out. Uh, and so, but he convinced me that I needed to declare bankruptcy. I needed to, to do it. There was no option. I, I was never going to recover from this. And he wasn't going to have, you know, a wife that he has to pay for her debt that he I got from, you know, other boyfriends and this other, you know, nonsensical stuff. So I filed for bankruptcy. And I, it was against my better judgment. And I guess at the end of, I don't, I won't go into details about how it works, but at the end of it, to get completely out of it, I had to pay a few hundred dollars or something. And I did, but of course this was his money according to because we were engaged. And uh, that this has been held over my head now for like the rest of my life. So going forward, now I have no credit. I have no credit. I have no money although I don't have any debt, I suppose. I had to hand over things of value. So if you want to keep certain things of value when you go through bankruptcy, you have to pay for them or you have to hand them in. So, and they get sold. Uh, and so it's, I, I really, I had to give up things of value, uh, like monetary value. And uh, so as we're doing houses and stuff, these housing flips, I was never on any, I would say, well, how come I don't go on the on titles or on mortgages? And, oh, well, you know, your credit's so bad. And, oh, you know, you it's better for everybody if your, your name's kept off of all this stuff. And um, so looking back, really glad my name wasn't on a lot of these things. But at the time, it was really insulting to me. It was like, you're this, you're just, you're so bad with money. And just leave the money to the people who know what they're doing. And uh, that was the narrative. Money was always an issue. I was kept apart from it. 
so so even while these real estate projects are going on and, and things before you're declaring for bankruptcy and now the competency around his idea of you declaring bankruptcy um it has happened and he's attacking this constantly uh, is your self-esteem at this point gone because this is how you derived all of it mm-hmm. yeah exactly i'm starting to think well maybe i'm not as smart as i thought i was and maybe i'm not as competent and maybe you know smart people don't declare bankruptcy um and i just made these all this this line of terrible decisions and maybe i'm not who i thought i was and so now maybe i'm unstable and maybe i do need a person to rescue me and look after me so that i don't do these dumb things again so this is a good example of as we as you stated at the beginning you know competency this is where you derive your worth from except you were deriving it outside of yourself and not from within yourself and then you put your competency in someone else's hands and once it was in their hands they could do anything they wanted with it and here's a way that throughout time this person found a way to really now reinforce that you aren't competent has an actual document to show you that you're not competent and it starts to chip away. And as we said before, uh, in other episodes, once you put your worth, whatever you value or your, your, what you value is your worth in someone else's hands and not in coming from within yourself, you're done right there. You don't know it yet, but it'll take, if you're, it's in the wrong hands, especially, um, eventually you'll have none of it left. Well, and he didn't value me from the beginning, but that's not what I thought. What I thought was he did value my competency and my intelligence. And so now I've somehow marred that. So I need to build it back up. I need to prove again that, no, 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 I am that person that you, I am those things that you like about me. This is just a blip. Uh, and it really, it really isn't a blip. A lot of people go through this process. And so it's, it's not uncommon and yet that's what I was made to believe is it's just such an embarrassment. He didn't want to tell anybody that it's so embarrassing. Um, and so I was constantly trying to now get back into the person, become the person that I, I knew he valued. Whereas in reality, he never actually valued that stuff, but he told me he did. So now I want to do better. And so I was constantly scrambling to improve my image of myself in his eyes. And when you're so busy doing that, you're not paying attention or noticing the stuff that they're doing to sort of undermine you all the time. So anyway, so we're going through this process and uh, we get to when we're sort of planning the wedding. And this is when the, the closest we came to breaking up before we got married was at this point, because he asked for uh, a prenup. And I, I didn't, I don't think he ever actually gave me a draft of one, but he would talk about how, there was no way he was getting married again without one. And I started right away and going, whoa, because to me, in my, in my mind, and lots of people have reasons to have these sort of marriage agreements and, and prenuptial agreements, and I, I have nothing, everybody has reasons for them. But in my mind at the time, I'm thinking, well, this is like, 
like really rich people stuff or people that have huge family assets or like there's it just didn't feel like we were in that place it was like this is kind of weird and it felt like he was hedging his bets before we even got going uh, but like i said i don't say that to suggest that that's always the case and i don't want to offend anyone this is just in my situation it didn't feel right and so, and he, he would say, I'll never get married again without one. And that way, you know, because that means you'll, I need to protect myself because you're going to take half and all this stuff. And he would talk about our impending divorce before we were married. And I thought, this is super weird. Like, this is not the way this is supposed to go. And I'm not a, I'm, you know, I'm a pragmatic person, but even this didn't feel right to me. So it was a huge fight. And we went back and forth for so long. And I did talk about staying somewhere else for a few days. And I, I did try to extricate myself a little bit. Didn't work. Uh, he would, I was always kind of pulled back in with, okay, let's talk about it some more. I know I understand. And anyways, and actually, I think at this point, I even actually reached out to the guy that I had been dating before him. And I actually reached out to him at this point and just sent him an email and said, does this sound right? Like, it, are these common? You know, like maybe I'm totally wrong and that this is okay and I'm being ridiculous. Uh, he wrote back and said, well, I, I don't think so. I don't know anybody. I wouldn't ask. I don't know. I don't know anything about them, but if you're feeling uncomfortable, maybe this isn't right. Anyways, I wish I could listen to that. Um, anyways, and so that actually ends up passing. So he ends up letting it go. He brings it up many times, but he actually lets it go. And I never end up signing one, which is amazing because I can only imagine what would have been it. Somebody else talked about this too. I think Tina Swithin has that. She had this crazy prenup. And I think I think that's what she wanted. He wanted her to sign. And I'm thinking that's what mine would have been like. Um, and so we're planning the wedding and it's everything is on the cheap. Like cheap, cheap, cheap. Uh, spend the least amount of money possible which is fine. I mean, it wasn't the end of the world. Uh, we had lots of, we had a, it was ended up being fine, but he wanted to do everything. Like we would sneak into his office after hours to print the invitations on stationery. I always felt very uncomfortable. Like I'm a rule follower. Like we just, we just don't do that. This is our wedding. We, we pay for our stuff. We don't use office supplies, but we did. Um, and I remember sitting, we got married in a, in a, like a patio of a restaurant. And I remember sitting in that restaurant one day having lunch and we were arguing again about shoes. What's this thing with shoes? I don't know. Um, but he just, I don't know, he, he just had the thing with them. And I said, oh, I found these great shoes, you know, and they're, and he said, well, what kind are they? And I said, well, they're flats. And he was like, what? No, you're not wearing flats at our wedding. And I thought, why, why not? Like they're, 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 I'm going to be on my feet all day. I want to wear flats. Huge fight, huge fight. Um, and everything was about the way that I looked and how I needed to wear stilettos because it, you know, makes my butt stick out a certain way and all this other nonsense. And I sat in that restaurant just falling. Um, and I, again, was thinking that it's supposed to feel like this when you're planning a wedding. And, but again, I chalk it up to, but that we're moving again and we're doing this other stuff. And it's like, Quick, look over here at this other thing. Um, we actually had a giant fight the night before our wedding, too. Again, no idea why. Of course, we're sleeping in the house. We're in together. 
uh, not in separate places as is often the case. Although, you know, that's just convention. It really doesn't make a difference. But um, we had a huge fight and he ended up, you know, calling me an effing whore again. And like the night before, so the next morning we're actually trying to, there's people showing up for stuff and I'm red in the face from crying the night before and some sort of half apology at some point. And, you know, it's amazing that you can, you carry on, but you do. I, at this point, I'm thinking everybody's showing up paid for this wedding. I, I mean, he would have, I can't even imagine what would have done if I had just pulled the plug in that moment. Um, so we don't pull the plug and we get married. Um, shortly after we get married, we decide to move closer to, so at this point I'm quite a ways from my family, as I've said. So we decide to move closer to my family and we move a long ways away. And although we're closer to them, we're still about, you know, 45 minutes away from them at a very rural property, middle of nowhere. And we live there. Um, and I get pregnant shortly after, uh, and he sort of, he, he wants, like, he wants a big family and he wants lots of kids. And this is this model family that he wants. And I get pregnant. And a few months later, at the sort of the first ultrasound, um, we found out that I had lost the pregnancy. And so I was totally devastated. And he, he was too, but it was like, he didn't have much sympathy for me. He was more like devastated at the idea that like this didn't fit the perfect life that he was supposed to have. It's like, what do you mean that, you know, that doesn't happen to me and this is ridiculous. And so we were actually scheduled to fly um, back to see his family a couple of days after this ultrasound. But then of course um, they didn't, the doctors didn't think I should be traveling, uh, you know, at this point with sort of, having having just miscarried and so they wanted me to go and have surgery and before I traveled and I remember saying like I didn't want to go I I can't I'm so distraught and I didn't want to but it didn't matter uh it was like because I didn't even I didn't have to have surgery the surgery was just so that I could travel I could have just waited as lots of people do and uh but no that wasn't gonna happen so I had surgery, got on a plane a couple of days later. I think I had like pills just in case something happened in the low, like in the altitude on the plane. And he just did not care. Like he had moved on. It was like, we're done. And uh, anyways, it was, I remember being shocked at his um, sort of cavalier attitude about it all. Um, I got pregnant a second time. Um, and so this time uh, it stuck. And I was pregnant with twins. And so I thought I was high risk. So it's lots of reasons why I was, including my miscarriage. So everything was very, um, be careful. I didn't get to have any of the, the fun pregnancy stuff that people talk about. I, pregnancy was not fun for me. It was very stressful. And uh, so at this point, he decides that he wants to move closer to where he's from and I remember thinking like I cannot be bought of packing and moving and he had no regard for any of it. it didn't matter and so we had been living near my uh family for a couple, about a couple of years and when my parents when I told my parents they were so upset they were they couldn't believe that I was leaving and I justified it and we justified it it was all these reasons that don't really matter now but um we 
there was just no, there was just no changing his mind. This is what we were doing. And so we managed to pack up and move back a long ways away. And so now I'm pregnant, very pregnant. And we're in this new, now we're in this new city. So I, I feel like at every point I was constantly being uprooted. Every time I would try feel settled and I'm a homebody. I love being at home, love my space, but I was being uprooted and shifted. And every time things would get, you know, and now I'm near my family. And there was a time where I had stayed with them that I was like, this isn't good. I don't want to be with this guy. And I moved and I lived with them for like a week. So I think he's starting to get the sense now that I've got this support system. And it's, there's that evidence of me moving away from him is there. So what does he do? Up we go back across the country. So now I'm in a new place. Now I've got a new home. I'm with my family again. And I'm totally reliant on him. I'm in a high-risk pregnancy. I can't do very much. I'm resting a lot of the time. And uh, we end up, I end up, uh, but still, he, he had this outward, like, uh, when we would go out, oh, be careful, be careful, sit down, and oh, don't. But at home, it was like, get on the damn laundry. And I would say, well, I'm not supposed to carry heavy stuff, but can you carry the basket? And I would get berated and it was, you know, I had to do it myself. So there was this guy on the outside. And of course there was the guy on the inside, which is a very typical, you know, situation anyway. So I end up, um, I end up in the hospital, uh, a couple of months before my due date and they end up coming very early. Uh, and it was awful. It was, one of the most awful times of my life and we ended up um it was terrifying and my children were born and they were less than three pounds piece uh they were like translucent <laughs> they just like they didn't look like babies they were not cute they were like little aliens and they were born and there was a time when they were born um over two months early they didn't know if they would have brain damage or if they would survive it was not a good spot and so I stayed, I had a very um, intense uh, emergency C-section. And so I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk. I couldn't, I had to be wheeled around. I was stapled and stitched and all this stuff. And so I relied on him again uh, for, to help me get around. And I remember, I remember being in such a dark place. I was so scared for my children. And he just was so upset about how I was behaving. So at one point, my mom flew out to help me because he had to go back to work and uh, whatever he was doing, he said it was working. And he, he would berate me for not looking after our babies. I wasn't, you know, he wanted me to eat better. There was, he had this huge thing about the food I was eating at where I was staying at this sort of hospice place near the hospital. And he would get all my case about eating terribly and uh, how I'm not getting on a bus and going to the grocery store because of course I wasn't driving and just insane stuff um and I remember it uh, it was one of those times where it cut me down like he would say like you are sacrificing our babies for your laziness and all this stuff and it was just anyways it was so far outside of I was shocked I didn't even know what to say um and so he would eventually I came home after a couple of months of being in the, or, you know, the, the NICU, the children being in the NICU. Um, and he was gone. So within the first couple of days, I'm home and he's out. He's gone doing his thing. I'm looking after these newborn twins. Um, I'm a wreck uh, and I'm alone. Uh, I really was alone. 
So this is where, at this point in the story, is where the physical abuse starts. It's about two months after the kids come. Uh, it starts to smell shoves um, or, you know, just pushing past me or, you know, slaps. And I, I, I say this as in this is like the low-level stuff. It's not low-level at all, but it is relative to, you know, what comes. Um, his big thing was there was a pecking order in our house. He was a very misogynistic person, is a misogynistic person. And uh, he, you know, there's, it started, you know, where he would be, he always wanted to be near me, but I had to be very subservient to him. And so if I would push back on that, he would, you know, shove me or he, you know, give me a shot to the ribs or that kind of thing. Um, and he, I remember this one where I, the point where I started to get scared was at this point where I thought I'm, I got to figure out how to get out, but I don't know how. Um, and, and I've got these newborns. I mean, it's the thought of if I leave and then he's got these newborn babies half of the time. I know that sounds to some people think that sounds completely crazy uh, as a reason to stay, but I thought I could protect them better staying than leaving. And uh so there was one time where he, again, flew into a rage. I pushed back and I, I, I was so upset. I ran into the bedroom and closed the door and locked it. And I was in the bedroom. But there was no way that a woman was going to keep him out of anywhere of his house. And so he went downstairs. I got a drill and removed the door, the doorknob from the bedroom door and just like barged through it. The babies are sleeping in the other room. And I'm like, terrified i'm thinking like but he, he doesn't actually do anything more he just but he physically if he wouldn't let me be apart from him like i i he had total control um about my space if i said i need space i need to be away there was no way um and he would and what he would do is he always wanted me to react so i i absolutely hate the term reactive abuse i hate it with, with a deep passion i cringe when i hear it it's not a, abuse has an inherent power dynamic like the, the term to me there is a power differential when you've got someone abusing so the power dynamic even so what he would do is he would berate me he would back me into a corner like you know and just come at me so much and then i would shove him off of me or shove him back for me and that was a green light to strike and then, and, and it gets couched as this, she started it, or she's hitting me, or she's abusing me. And it's like, at no point did I think I could actually, like, I ever believed that I could win a fight with him. I knew at every point that if this escalated and continued to, he was going to win. He doesn't have that thought. He figured, he, he, and most, most situations, and typically it's, you know, men, but it can be anybody. If you know, like, he's going to win. He knows if this keeps going, he's always going to be able to win. So to me, that just, anyways, I hate the term reactive abuse. It's not abuse. Um, it's, I truly believe any of us is capable of, of anything. And uh, I was, I was, I never behaved that way before him. And I've never behaved that way since. And I felt like a caged animal. And I was being treated so poorly that it was like whatever I needed to do. I say that though, but I always back down because I knew uh, he could one up me. Um, and so he would, he started to, 
he would say he'd take me off bank accounts if I didn't, you know, report all my spending. He would go through bags when I would come home with stuff. He was very, very close because I was, quote, bad with money. Um, and so I would stay because I was afraid. He'd say he'd leave me in a box outside. I'd come home and find a sale sign on the front lawn and I'd have nowhere to go and all this stuff. So, um, and so I would say the worst incident uh, was when my kids were about two. And again, the fight just escalates and he just ends up, um, he's berating me. And I think I shove him or I slap him at one point. And I have no, let me just say, I have no shame about the reactions that I had back. Like, I know some people feel very, they're like, it wasn't like them and they feel really, they have this uh, certain amount of guilt around that. I have none, like none. I, I am in this place where it's like, I'm surviving and I am the type of person I was, was I wasn't, I didn't take crap from people. And so this was so weird that I was taking this. Um, but at the end of the day, I did take it. Um, but anyways, I ended up um, getting, you know, being physical with him. But of course, I learned quickly that was a bad decision. Uh, he ended up hitting me, um, you know, and having his, um, he sort of pins me down by my neck and he cocks his fist back like he's going to hit me. And he ends up, you know, things just escalate. He ends up pushing me off the bed and I end up with sort of bruising all down my back. And I remember in that moment, like, okay, I need to, this is going to be a process to get out, but I need proof because I, I unfortunately thought that this kind of stuff would be like a get out of jail free card. Uh, it is not, unfortunately. Um, at any event, I took pictures the next day and I started just thinking about what I was going to do. The sad part of the story is that it was two more years before I actually left. Uh, but anyways, um, he finds these pictures on my phone a couple weeks later, deletes them all off of my phone. So they're all gone. And there's sort of this reset. Like, cause I, I had this thought this was going to be the thing that was going to help me. These pictures, this proof that I, I could get out and I was going to be able to protect my kids and I, and it was gone just like that. Um, another, just another really good example of setting me up. And I think this is a good, a good um, story about gaslighting for people to understand. I was going to a party, a bachelorette party, uh, and I had gone into the bathroom before I left to put hand cream on. So I took my rings off my wedding ring and I left the bathroom to put the cream on and go do something else and I came back to the bathroom because I knew I was going to go back and I was going to put my rings back on well I had gone back in and my rings were gone so I'd forgotten that I'd taken them off like anybody who wears rings you just don't always remember if you're not wearing them and so I don't put them back on because they're not there and I just carry on and I go to get in the car and he's standing in the driveway and just itching for a fight and that's what he did and he said, you know, are you forgetting something? I said, what? I don't know. I don't think so. He says, are you sure about that? You know, and he pulls these rings out from his pocket. And he starts accusing me of leaving them at home so that I can cheat on him and do all this crazy stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, did I do that? No, I, I know I didn't. I, I, and I know I took them off. But why didn't I put them back on? And I'm, I'm going through all of these things in my mind. Um, and it ends up being this huge fight uh, about these rings. That And the reason I didn't put them back on is because I didn't see them because he put them in his pocket uh, when I left the bathroom. And so he, he, would, he would sort of create these scenarios that would be very 
intense uh, and untrue. At the end of the day, very untrue. Um, and so, and so at this point, like, I know I need to get out. So, but again, like I said, it took me a couple of years. Um, the time, funny enough, the time that I actually did leave was a relatively, I don't know, uh, minor, I guess, incident, which is sort of weird how that happens. I think it's more of a timing thing more than an actual incident thing. He flipped out about not getting, I love telling you stories because they're just insane how small they are, but he flipped out because I didn't buy the right kind of ribs. He wanted ribs for dinner. I <laughs> I spent the same amount of money, but I got them from a different store because the first store was sold out and he lost his mind about that. And, um, and he ended up calling me like uh, an effing C word. And my kids were in the other room and they were about, I guess they would have been three, three, four, maybe. And I just, that was it. Uh, and something actually that, so this is at the end of 2016. Something worth noting is my parents followed. So my sister had moved out with me when my children were born and she was now living near me. My parents moved out earlier that year in 2016. So now I'm not alone. So my sister was there, but she's younger than me and she was living her own life, but I had her support. Then you add on to that, my parents. So a few months before. So now I'm feeling like I've got support and that was it. And I said to myself, there's no way my kids are going to grow up listening to somebody speak like in a relationship, somebody speaks somebody else like that. And that was it. So uh, we split. And I uh, went, you know, he, we sort of did this house sharing thing for a bit and it didn't go well. And uh, we eventually, um, like, and, and as I said, I, I think back and it seems sort of character for me. I think that's what bothers me more than anything is what I tolerated. And it's out, people find out now, they hear my story and they go, I would have never pictured you. Like, you're, you're a feminist and you're opinionated, <laughs> all these things. And this was like, this whole experience was counter to who I am. Uh, which is going to actually find the hardest uh, in so many ways. But anyways, I totally lost who I was entirely. Um, anyway, so we we are split now and things went. Hold on one second. Yes. The look on your face when you said that. Because <laughs> you just had this moment of silence. And this pause. And we've been listening to you and your story. And you are... It was like a moment there you slowed down. And mm -hmm. you felt what was going on. And would you say that within your life while this person was going on that you were just going at whatever speed you were going at and weren't feeling um, or do you have trouble with feeling in that way? Cause you, you sat, if you could see the look on your face when that pause happened, I mean, you, you, you felt it. You know, I, I was just, it was just this whirlwind and things moved so fast and I was in so deep so quickly that I, I lost, I just, 
I lost everything about who I was. And I, it's, it's such a point of embarrassment for me. I really thought I just wasn't working hard enough and that there was no way that I was going to be, this wasn't me and nobody would believe me. I thought no one's going to believe me because this is just not me. And they're going to hear the stuff I say, and they're going to say that I'm nuts. And that it, it was just, I was not the same person. It was like, I took this, this hiatus for that decade of my life, almost not quite. Um, I took this, I just stopped being me. It was like I hit pause and I was just trying to prove everything that I knew that I was to this person. It's like I hit pause when I met him and I spent the next however many years trying to prove to him that I was who I said I was. And he would completely undermine that. And then I got to the end and I left and I, it's like, I got to hit restart again. And I fell back into who it's hard. I find that there's this distance between who I thought I was and then this relationship and then I started to believe or maybe I'm not kind of this person maybe I'm not this tough uh competent whatever maybe I'm just weak and yeah not as resilient as I thought I was and so it took a long time for me to to reset and to go no actually that I am as in both things can be true that's both versions of me can be true and it's i'm in such a better place now <laughs> than i was then um does that answer your question <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um, i think what i was trying to do really was um noticing just like the quickness in you and um, you know, it's not easy to tell a story. And as we discussed when, before we even started recording, how, when you start going, you just start going and, and it, maybe it's a parallel of your relationship once you're in it and you just start going and going and going and you don't have time to breathe because you're just trying to live and figure out what's what's going on and you know for you um and we're not even at the end of doing these words um but for you having the time to breathe and remember Mm. who you were uh, during the whole year, because you were just, as you said, you were just trying to survive. And I think I just wanted to kind of stop you at that moment because I just noticed that look on your face of, you know, it may be that there was a similarity of what was happening and, and being caught in it and then catching yourself. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. I think it is true. I think I was zoom, zoom, zoom. It was kind of like getting through it and spending any time, even as I explain these things, if I go into too much detail, I think there's a little bit of apprehension. Um, I'm a little nervous. I don't really want to. It was just so awful that I think I'm, it's like I was zooming through my life then too, because I was trying to get to the part where it got better. And how do I just, (laughs) okay. 
<laughs> through it. And it never got better. It never got better. And I, I do tend to move quickly. I tend to, you know, I get this done and then I move on and I'm always moving forward and I just carry on. And I'm very much, you know, a, well, you can't change that. Let's just move on. You're just going to go forward. And I don't tend to stop uh, and breathe. I tend to just carry on. Because <laughs> sometimes when you stop and breathe, you have horrible feelings and you start to have to really face what's going on. And I didn't want to. You answered my question. <laughs> and I think there's an element too at this point of, and this is going to make me sound a little bit nerdy, but just sunk cost. Like you've, you've put so much into this and it's like, if I leave now, I've just wasted all of this time and just being okay with that sunk cost, being okay with, you know, the fact that I've, this chunk of my life is now spent and spent on someone who isn't worth it. And I didn't want to lose my investment. I wanted to have my investment give me a return um, as dry as that sounds um so so we do at this point so we separate and i think i really do think it's going to get better uh thinking we just need to be apart that we're inflammatory together uh, that i am just as much you know in this as him and so we try the you know sharing the house play thing and then he gets his own place he rents from a friend of mine and that we try that for a bit but it very quickly is going badly and he showed up one day and just decided i'm moving back in you know this is my house and i'm moving back in you know no woman's gonna keep me out of my house and so i packed up what i could and grabbed the kids and left and i went to court the next day or two, and this is something too that i think would be helpful that i don't know at least you know uh, where i am you can get exclusive occupancy of a home in a in a a marital sort of split and so i successfully went to court a day or two later and got that occupancy now and he had to be out within 48 hours and i got so the house was still both of ours but i got to live in it with the children and that was a huge pivotal moment for me and so i um we i mean he emptied as much as he could in that 48 hours but i it was just, I needed a home where I could change the locks. And that, and that, that's the thing that, you know, people, I've heard stories or I hear advice about, you know, when you're leaving people and people say, well, just change the locks. And it's like, it doesn't actually do anything because, um, first of all, my name isn't on title and that can be a problem. They will check who owns the home. And even if I could, if I could do it myself, he can just change them back. He'll just show up with a locksmith and a, a title to the house and change him back. So this was a big deal for me. Um, and just quote, changing the locks, you can't always just do that. Um, and so going from there, he, so this is where the stalking started. He followed me everywhere. He uh, would follow me to work. He would follow me if I went out to, you know, whatever in an evening with a friend or whatever, he would wait. I would see his truck waiting down the street from my home. Um, and so at this point, the kids are going um, back and forth. And so shortly, um, shortly after we separated, he was in a relationship, like almost immediately. Um, I am, I have no proof, but I'm pretty sure this was not brand spanking new, but that doesn't matter. Uh, and it's funny. I remember being surprised at how much I didn't care 
someone said, well, do you think that he was in this relationship before you split? And I truly, in my heart, was like, yeah, I really don't care. Like, I was done for so long that I was like, great. <laughs> Somebody else can deal with it. Um, and to be honest, this relationship has kept him, I think, more level than he would have been otherwise, uh, which is uh, kind of crazy to hear um, because he's pretty crazy still. But he's, she does keep him more level. I shouldn't say she. Being in a relationship keeps him more level. And so um, he... I, I, because if it's, an, uh, if it's at the beginning specifically, he has to keep up appearances. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. He's got to sell this crazy ex-wife story um, and he can, he behaves in front of her. So the children are going back and forth. Um, I'm in the home. They're with him and her. Um, but the tension is crazy high. I'm afraid all of the time. Um, he would do terrible things like, you know, I would drop the kids off at school. And so he wasn't supposed to be around. Um, like we were never supposed to be in the same space together, but he was always showing up at the school when I was there with the children. And, um, at one point I walked back to my car and he had driven past my car and spit all over the side of my car. And it was, there's something about that that is so degrading and demeaning and it was disgusting. Um, and he was just always there. Uh, there was this, I remember, uh, where I was working. I worked near, like my office building was near the courthouse. And so I would park near the courthouse and there was a a period of time where the judges were calling my office, complaining about my car alarm and saying, there's a car in your lot that keeps going off. And I could not for the life of me figure out what was going on, what was wrong with my car. And so I brought it in. And again, I'm still not thinking anything, you know, nefarious is going on. I'm just like, something's wrong with my car which again, was not in my name. And uh, so I brought it into the shop and they said, there's nothing wrong with your car. Like your car is, there's nothing wrong with the alarm system. It's totally fine. Your fobs are good, everything. I only had one fob and they said, well, why don't you give me your two fobs and we'll reprogram them. And I said, and I couldn't find the other fob. I hadn't noticed that I was missing this other fob. And I, it just hit me. I thought, there's no way, like, did he take this? And so they, they ended up reinstalling the whole system and reprogramming. I got new fobs and everything and it stopped. And I remember he used to park outside my office building. And I thought to myself, I think he was setting off my alarm, like this crazy making stuff, this stuff you think you're losing. And I'm focused on having the, and it seems crazy, but I've got these judges that are mad at me and I'm thinking I have to go into court. I mean, I end up in front of a judge. It's like, oh, you're the one who's got the car that, you know, doesn't shut up. And I'm getting all in my head about this other stuff. Um, and so there was a, and I remembered in that moment that this guy is going to harass me. Like I knew from that point on that he's very, he's very, uh, nasty. And so I remember, um, it was another big turning point for me was when I bought the house from him. So the, the marital home I ended up purchasing, uh, from him and well, from him, his, but buying him out. Um, and it was huge. I've never felt like the relief from having a space that was mine and that he could not get in. Because when he had access to the home, he would go through the stuff. He would go through my calendars and then question me about 
you know, I would, I write like my boss's name on my calendar to say that he was on holidays. And then he'd text me and who the hell is so-and-so. And it just, and I'm going, it's my boss. Like, so the fact that I had this space is huge, huge. And so, but I knew that he was crazy. And so I installed security cameras about two or three weeks after I bought the house. And wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know, I'm sure this wasn't his first time showing up at the home, but he showed up at the house and I guess he tried the front door when I was at work, uh, nobody was home. And he, I guess, found an open window in the back and he managed to get in my home and he took, I think it was photo albums and personal stuff, photos, baby items, that kind of stuff. And um, I saw this and I, you know, it was such a violation. I remember sitting in my office looking at my camera and it's so helpless because I've got this trigger on my phone that there was motion in my house. And it was like, I was gutted. It was just this total violation. And it was very clear cut now because the house is mine, not ours anymore. And so he, I filed a report um, and I was talking to, this is just an extra, this extra detail, which is the creepiest thing in the world is I filed this report. I see all this stuff missing. Cause I had to look, I had to look to see, I had seen on the camera what was in his arms, but I had to go and look and I checked the bookshelves and I saw what was missing. I called the police. The police had to come and take a look and they came the next day to take a look. And I hadn't been back to the bookshelf. I just looked the first time, called. It's in kind of in the basement in the back corner, so I hadn't gone back. And the cop shows up, and I'm standing there with him, and all the stuff is back. <laughs> well, I say all. I don't know. Some of the items I recognized were back. And I stood there in disbelief. Like, I was losing my mind, and I swore <laughs> up and down. And I had video, so, I mean, he believed me. The police officer believed me. But I I couldn't believe it. Like, he had come, because I had walked what I thought was the open window. I don't know if he left another one open when he was in. Like, I just could not believe it. And I did that, that the space had been violated a second time. Anyways, he, I don't know if it all came back. I don't think it did. Uh, Cause he likes to still to this day, make references to things that I think are in old journals of mine. So I don't know. So how come the camera didn't catch him on the second time? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he realized that the camera was there and was able to avoid, like, because there are dead spots and not anymore, but there were. Um, I only had so much money. So I bought only a couple of cameras and they weren't maybe that great. I don't know. Honestly, to this day, I don't know what happened, how they didn't catch him the second time. Um, but it was the most surreal experience of uh, in a long time. I really thought I was losing it. I thought I was losing my mind. Anyways, he ended up getting arrested, uh, which, by the way, is not nearly as dramatic as I would like it to be. <laughs> Here I am thinking he's going to get cuffed and hauled away. Nope, <laughs> that's not what happens. But anyways, it, you still get arrested, and he had to go to court. He had to appear, and he was on a peace bond. Um, there's been a couple of protection orders since then that, it, that are, have since expired, but they did exist at the time. Um, so so we're, we're moving on, and... So what's happening now is he's just ramped up. So the the litigious, like, we would go to court and have to talk about, I mean, who knows? It was just, We thought about everything. But he would, like, he would just lie. Like, these affidavits of just, they were entirely made up. It was the most 
disheartening thing to stand in these courtrooms and you're just all you want to say is like he's lying like all of that is a lie but when it's just he said she said it gets it's like they are this kind of person is just down in the mud and all they do is just drag you down there with them and you try to get up out of it and try to be hold yourself with integrity and do things the way you're supposed to do and they just drag you and i stayed i tried really hard to stay in my integrity but then people don't believe you and you get hit with well it takes two to fight and oh it takes you know it's so disheartening and you realize very quickly the system is really not that sensitive to this stuff and uh it was very i was i quickly realized the truth just didn't matter it didn't matter and um so i started to pick and choose what i would talk about and fight about and bring up and that kind of thing um and you end up leaving a lot of stuff on the table and just not caring anymore which is what happened um and his i would say his primary uh post-separation abuse tactic is inundating me with communication so i hear these stories about people who just take off and don't talk anymore there's a part of me that envies that and i realize that everything has good and bad parts but i fantasize about a day where he leaves me alone um but that day has not come yet and it that was really where and, and i will say he did get in trouble for that early on uh with some of the really vile stuff i remember the judges uh basically he just got blamed out by a judge at one point about like this is some of the most vile stuff he's ever seen he can't believe anybody would text this to you know their ex-wife and all this stuff so he did get in a little bit of trouble but what happens is they learn and they learn and how to walk this really fine line of like technically bad kind of stuff uh, and a lot of inside digs things that nobody else on the surface would go up doesn't sound like anything you're like have you don't know what that's about so um and this whole concept too, I, I always hear people talk about, and I say this just so that I, if anybody feels the same way I do, they can hear it, is that all these recommendations, we'll just use things like Our Family Wizard, which is a, like a communication tool, right? And I think to myself, that's all fine and dandy if they'll use Our Family Wizard. Like, they'll, unless you have something like a court order, and even a court order that's enforceable by, the, you know, the police in some way, even then, you can say, oh, you're not allowed to text me just text you anyways like and blocking them is very difficult because then they've got your kids and you block them and then he would create emergencies he would create issues if he thought i blocked him oh i tried to contact her but she blocked me so that's what a terrible parent that is like you're endangering the children and then so you can text me whenever he wants you can email me whenever he wants um, and I will say one more, uh, one of the major things he did in terms of um, the lies and the abuse afterwards was he, w- when he found out I was in a relationship with somebody after we had, you know, we weren't together anymore, he uh, went after him. And what he did at one point was he did two things. The first thing he did was uh, when he found out I was dating someone and found out where he worked, he, uh, I guess, gathered intimate photos that he had of me that he had from our marriage and he emailed them to my new partner and he cc'd all of the partners of the firm and i at the time i was so it's actually doesn't bother me as much anymore uh at the time it was it was awful 
Um, but it actually didn't go anywhere. So very quickly, the people who got this email were like, you're a psycho. Don't email us again. And I thought, just thank goodness that there's, but I thought for sure my relationship was over. I thought for sure this guy was going to be like, I don't need this headache. Uh, but he didn't. My goodness, he didn't leave. Um, bless his heart. So uh, he tried to destroy my relationship that way. And then when that didn't work, he created a false uh, abuse claim against my partner's son. And so he said that he had uh, abused my one of my daughters. And I, I remember when I got this, he filed, he went to child protection services or whatever it's called and, and filed this complaint. And I, I was, I mean, immediately, I'm, first of all, and there's a part of me that's going, is it true? I mean, the, the idea of this is just so devastating. But it was so quickly discovered that it was a lie because they had never been, like, been together. So this was fairly new in our relationship, and they weren't even in the same space, the children, I mean. So it was actually impossible. And he had created this whole, I mean, trying to destroy. This is like scorched earth stuff. This is like, I am going to scorch everybody and everything. And that's what he was trying to do. Like, if I'm going down or he's going to punish me and punish me and punish everybody that I know. Uh, And he tried. Uh, And it fell through. So dragged my daughter through interviews and all these stuff. And everything, they were like, this is completely bogus. There's nothing here. Um, But again, there's no consequences for that stuff uh, for him. It just, you just carry on. And I thought for sure, time number two, guy's going to leave me. There's no way. And wouldn't you know it, he's still around. Um, so it's amazing, actually. Uh, so now, I mean, this, this is sort of in the first uh, two to three years of separation. Now things have, uh, we actually managed to get a parenting agreement in place and things have mostly, uh, in terms of physical stuff and stalking, most of that has, has stopped, I, I think. I believe. And uh, the communication, I'm continually trying to be trapped into things. He likes his tool, his weapon is communication. Um, but other than that, I'm in a very different place. So how has your healing process been? It has been long and it has been difficult, uh, but with the support of my, my family, my parents, my sister, my spouse, my friends, it has made, like, I was so afraid of sharing what happened that it kept me from healing. And it was only when I actually just, I was no longer this, you know, woman who would never put up with that. I was, it just became part of my life and part of my story. And as soon as I opened up about it, it was like a whole, it was a whole it made such a difference and it turns out that all these people I thought hated me don't actually hate me and all the people who weren't going to support me actually support me and all of my relationships are deeper because of it and how's your nervous system doing (laughs) I spend a lot of time on my physical health because I find that it's been really important for me to control the things that I can control and it's I get I get very wound up when people don't do the things they should be doing or things that aren't fair or things that aren't just like, I I like things to be, to be fair and people to be treated justly and things, people to play by the rules. And so that doesn't happen. 
And I've learned to focus on what I can control and what I can control is my health. So I spend a lot of time um, in the gym and eating well and uh, just, and being really open. Like I went off, I went off social media for ages and now I'm just like, to heck with it. I'm going on social media. I don't care. And just open with people. And that's been, that's been amazing. And really letting go of the stuff I can and before we talked, I sent you an Enneagram test to take. We won't say what number you are or wing, but how has that been after reading about you? Because when you hear yourself today, you are <laughs> that type. I, it's so interesting. And, and I think I told you when I emailed you, I am not, you know, I, I mean, personality tests are fine, but I, I don't. They don't do a lot for me, but this test was, I was totally impressed. I couldn't believe it. I, it was like nail on the head and it, it really clarified like that makes so much sense. And it almost separates me from that. I'm this weak person that it was like who I was. This was who I was adapting to a situation. So I never actually was different. I was just, this was my adaptive mechanism in this kind of really stressful, scary, fearful, abusive situation. This is how I dealt with it. So I've always been me and I'm still me. Just, I just approach the way that it manifests is going to be different depending on the situation that you're in. And was there anything in there where you were like, oh, I want to be able to get over this aspect of myself or transcend this part, like in, in noticing those things in you? Was there something like that that you were like, okay, I can do work on that? I think the part that I would do work on would be, um, like I don't have to make everything better. Some things can just be, and they don't have to be fixed and improved and maximized and perfected they can just be and, and and that doesn't make them imperfect it just makes them what they are and really letting go of um you know i don't always have to teach everybody everything and i don't have to teach myself everything i can just live and enjoy myself and my life because <laughs> you're good enough just the way you are Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're good enough without knowing, like, you're competent. You don't have to be competent. You can just be yourself. I just am. I just already am. Everyone, this episode is all about self-acceptance here at the end. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And and just accepting that I didn't actually have to. My, my worth was not wrapped up into making something better or fixing it. It just, it just isn't. So if you have any words of wisdom or advice for people who are going through the same thing or have been through the same thing, what would it be? My words of wisdom are, well, I'll say it in two words, fact check. I think that I wish I had fact checked and, you know, I, I, we hear a lot about people, you know, they, they feel like they didn't trust their, their gut or they didn't trust their instincts. I didn't actually find that. In my experience, I did instinctually know something is not right. And I knew it was, you know, but I wanted to fix it. Um, but I also 
didn't check. I took everything at face value. So when you're dealing with somebody like this, when something doesn't sound right, I suppose there is an element of trusting your gut in that. But going and checking the facts, I wish I had checked facts. I wish I had, when he told me I couldn't be on, uh, you know, a title of a house because of my credit score, check it. Like, go and find out. Is that actually the case? Don't just believe. I wish I hadn't believed the stuff that was put in front of me constantly. And it's hard because I am a trusting person. And I hate the fact that I had to, this has made me a little bit more, a little bit less trusting in some ways. But it's more just, just fact check. If you're not, if it doesn't sound quite right, just do your investigation, check your records, especially when you're separating. I have like lists of threats. Oh, if you do this, I'm going to do this. Or if you do this, I'm, and just start to go, back. can we actually do that? Like I remember being told once, if you do this, I'm going to make you pick between one of the children. I'm going to take one of the children and move elsewhere and you can have the other one. We're going to split the kids like we split the stuff. And I remember it devastating me. And then I thought to myself, can't just do that. That's just, like once you get past that initial shock, if you just look into this stuff, you start to and then and there's stuff that they can do. So I'm not saying it's all good answers. I'm just saying that I got really grounded in my facts. Find out for yourself. Well, Mercedes, I want to thank you for being on our show today and sharing your story, sharing your experience, sharing your knowledge. And sharing your feelings with us and answering some of my weird questions that I had for you today because it's not always comfortable sometimes when I do something like that. So I really want to thank you for letting it all hang out and being here for everyone in our community. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for everything that you do and that your show does. Well, thank you for those kind words. And for those of you listening, if you want to be a guest on our show, like Mercedes was today, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, you have all these Guest Form instructions. Please read them and either fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button or email us at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. Also, at our website, we have our very own uh, safe social network if you need support. So we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, every Saturday night, and every Thursday afternoon. And we have our own forum boards on there. And you can also access episodes that never made it to air and ad-free episodes. And if you also just want to support our show, please do join our support group. Uh, that's where you can support our show by joining our group. And also, if you need even more support, please do go visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. Domesticshelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing. And they can connect you with local resources like shelters, and they can find ways for you to heal and move forward. So please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org to access this free resource. And that is it for today. So from myself and Mercedes, we hope you have a good night. <laughs>